Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. It's been a long time between drinks, but we're back again with some new games uh, we've been playing over the last little while. My name is Gianni DiGiovanni. I'm the executive producer of Pixel Sift. And joining me, uh, are my companion, my frequent uh, co-host on Mainstream is Adam Christou. Hello. Hey, hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. Now, we have been playing games, even though we haven't been in the feed as much as we have uh, been previously, um, but we're back at it and we're excited for a lot of this next generation coverage uh, coming out. We're going to be checking out a couple of different games today, uh, but if you've never listened to Mainstream before, maybe it's the first time you've ever tuned in, um, Pixel Sift, uh, we are an Australian podcast award-winning video game show. Uh, we've made our name delivering some of the best conversations about independent games made in Australasia, Southeast Asia, around the world. Uh, and this is Mainstream, where we talk about those high-profile games, those blockbusters, those ones that you walk into the high street shops to pick up. This is Mainstream episode 18. And uh, Adam, will you tell me first up, what have you been spending a lot of time standing in a river, wearing not that much with a couple of spears in hands doing? I have been fishing or farming or collecting silver in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's the latest big Ubisoft open world game. It's what, the 17th Assassin's oh Creed game? It's probably not the 17th. I think it's like actually the 12th. Who knows? Um, but this is the third Assassin's Creed game since they decided to redo the whole formula of how these games work. So it's a little more open world RPG these days in terms of its genre. Um, and it's it's quite interesting. It's it's Viking themed. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but yeah. And I've been jumping into to Hades, playing that on the Switch. It's the perfect game where you've got a few minutes here and there or you want to play for quite a while. Uh, you can check it out uh, and just uh, enjoy the, the process of dying and repeating and repeating. Let's jump in. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. All right, Gianni Hades. Uh, it's out now on Switch, and it's been out on PC for a while in early access. Mm. Uh, but now it's got a 1.0 version. Tell me about it. It's a, it's a rogue light game. Yes. So um, if you've but- never come across the format of a roguelite before, basically the idea is, and you probably have played these sort of games before, it's a game where there's a sort of repeatable format and you build up and you build your skills as you go along. Uh, you do a run effectively. That's kind of the idea of it. You'll go on a run 
Uh, you'll try to see as, get as far as you can. You build up your skills, you build up your gear, and you see how far you can progress through it. Now, Hades is pretty much, I think, one of the peak examples of it, maybe the best example of it uh, in the modern form. Um, it is uh, set in ancient Greece. You are in the underworld. Uh, you are within a pantheon of gods um you know you you know the olympian gods um you know the the gods of the underworld as well and they all play into it and you basically uh play as prince zagreus uh who is trying as he might uh to escape from hell from the underworld uh to escape into uh the real world and join his uh, his family and uh in in the other realms of the gods and mortals um it's it's a really stylized game um, from the team who you would know made games like uh, uh, Transistor, uh, made games like Bastion. Uh, they're called uh, Supergiant, um, and they uh, yeah it's, it's it's really stylized, perfectly playable on the Switch. Uh, it is very 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 fun, and it is a lot of fun to die and repeat in a way that a lot of other roguelites or roguelikes haven't captured my attention in the past. Yeah, I think what makes this game work so well is death is always a reward in Hades. Like, and it's a reward in a narrative sense. And I think that's the thing that I've always been missing from roguelike games in particular is like strong narrative hooks, strong character development, interesting story and mystery, but then being rewarded and having that story constantly unfurling with every death. So even if you have a completely terrible run which falls over backwards, you will come back into the House of Hades and interesting character developments will take place. Quests will continue. Stories will unfurl. And that is just such a good loop for this game. Like, I have dumped 80 hours into this thing and I feel like I still am not at the end of story stuff. And I I think this might be my game of the year. Mm. Be cool, be cool. It's interesting as well. When, not, normally when you look at a game like this, um, you would see... Uh, something well, the first hint that I knew that okay, I'm going to be doing this a few times um, was when you get a sort of a logbook um, which tells you a little bit of the lore and the history of the characters uh, and the places and the enemies in this game. And one of them was like, "Oh, have 30 more conversations with this particular character." And quite often, you only get to have a conversation maybe once or twice a run, maybe even only once really when you return back to your your home after the run is finished and then the the game sort of will continue on from there. Um, and, but, you know, I looked at that and didn't immediately think, oh, well, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to give up on that. That's not an insurmountable barrier for me. Um, it was something that it was sort of fun and something to aim for. Um, one of the things that I really loved about this game, and I think you touched on it there is the fact that it has a really good, uh, like sort of risk reward, um, I always felt that taking the risk wasn't ever too risky for me. Um, and I also felt that the rewards, even if I failed, were meaningful enough that I felt like I was always making progression, which is something that you uh, don't always see in some of these really punishing games. And for some people, like people who do the really hardcore runs, who do like permadeath, no, uh, no saves, all of that sort of thing, like that sort of challenge is really exciting for them. Um, but for me, I, I like to be able to slowly build up and build my skills. And, you know, maybe I'll only have five or 10 minutes here. It's not going to be a requirement for me to be on top of this all the time. But if I jump back into it, think about the way that I do it, maybe even take a little break and come back, uh, then it's perfect sort of setup for that. And yeah, it's always fun. There's always a little extra tidbit of story uh, that you'll come across as you, as you work your way through the, uh, through the game. 
Yeah, and there's just so many smart, well-designed systems in this game that work to slowly make you more powerful over each run, um, but don't feel like they are giving you too much too too quickly. So it feels like your own skill development in this game is keeping pace with the power creep that you are being given. So there's um, there's a mirror that you can invest darkness into, which is a resource that you'll get on runs. And that will considerably make Zagria stronger and stronger throughout the game um, over a slow period of time and over multiple runs. You can upgrade your weapons and unlock new weapons and unlock new aspects for your weapons, all of which make you considerably more powerful as well. And as you forge new friendships and relationships with the characters in these games, they will give you items that you can kind of wear, curios and trinkets that will give you passive effects in combat. And you start learning a lot more and being able to build runs or or kind of predict where you might want to shape a run, which I really enjoy in this game. Mm. So we might actually talk what like a run in Hades is like. Essentially, yeah. you're trying to escape the underworld mm-hmm. and you collect boons from the various Olympian gods, which kind of act like a series of passive and active abilities for you that augment your attacks and skills and kind of create a strange character build filled with god powers essentially that's unique every run yeah that's exactly right and you know it what i think really interesting about the the way that those boons come out is of course they are sort of randomly distributed so you may not always get the thing that you want now i found myself leaning towards a particular uh, play style because i really liked this particular weapon that i had and a really good upgrade uh, that i got which turned my special attack into a just a, an attack that i could just effectively spam at distance uh, to to defeat the enemies but quite often i would go on a run and, and that just wouldn't be made available to me the choices that i had made didn't present that option to me so you know i had to then think of alternative ways to to play through uh, what could i do to to make this viable while i was waiting for this thing to turn up uh, this item to turn up uh, in particular. I think it was talking about the, you know, the spear weapon. Um, and I had, uh, you'd get a, a, an item called the Daedalus Hammer and it would make your um, your spear, which you would normally throw and recall, um, I would sort of just throw it. And that's all you need to do. You could just throw it as many times and it would reappear back in your hand. Um, and for me, that was, once I had that and a number of upgrades on my special ability, um, that was pretty powerful, powerful setup. But, you know, every run, I don't always have that there. Um, so it's about thinking about the way that this sort of builds out um, and, you know, different alternatives for you. And there's also incentives as well as you're working to build up that darkness, as you mentioned there with the uh, with the mirror. Um, you know, you might be encouraged as you go to start the run uh, because one of your items, one of your weapons, for example, will be um, lit up, um, kind of giving you a, a passive bonus, which may give you that extra little bit um, to to push you over the limit to get the next upgrade. You know, maybe that's a few extra a uh, few extra points and, and now you can actually buy that extra upgrade which lets you survive a, a death. Maybe that's what it does to push you through. But um, Adam, I want to talk to you about the uh, the machine gun in this game. Oh, I love it. I love that there's a gun in this game. It's so silly. It's 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 like, okay, sure, let's go ancient Greece gun. Why yeah. not? And it's like a gri- it's like a griffin, basically. It's called the Adamant Rail. Um, and yeah, there's lots of upgrades. When I some of my more successful runs on that were, um, you know, turning off the the short amount of ammo that it had. You know, ma- making it shoot automatically, just in every direction. And you know, like it was just fun. It was silly. Uh, it was really enjoyable. Um, but I, I think we'd sort of be remiss to not talk about, I guess, the characterization in this game. And I think uh, it would be an understatement to say that the internet and people who've been playing this game have really uh, connected to the ca- uh, the characters in this game, uh, the pantheon of gods uh, that you come across as you are, are trying to escape the underworld. Um, 
what, what do you think about how have they've done this? Because I said you've played some of the other games um, that this uh, you know have been made by this company before. Um, and what have they done? Do you think uh, to to really capture you know p- people's hearts and minds? Is it the good I art? Just, I think it might actually just be like their best cast of characters. I mean, like the ancient Greek pantheon. There's just so much in popular culture about it that it's really fun to kind of create your own versions of that really fun versions of these gods and characters as well i mean like there's there's something about the idea that lord hades runs his house in the underworld like a bureaucratic hell where he is obsessed with paperwork his son is a terrible fail son because he's really bad at organization and management and accounts, essentially, and doesn't want to be an office drone in the underworld. That's kind of why he's running away. There's a few other reasons, which I don't want to spoil, but if you know a bit about Greek mythology, you're probably connecting a few ideas there already. Um, but I kind of love that kind of campy oddness about it. There's also like um, Megara, who's one of the Fury sisters, who mm. kind of acts like a dejected co-worker and... and also ex-lover of yours, but kind of feels like you're embarrassing her in front of her boss, which is your dad, over and over. And so that is such a fun dynamic um, between Zagreus, Hades, and Megara. And there's just so many characters that kind of click together like that. Um, It's such a great cast. The Olympian gods are all very pompous Mm. and over the top in their own different ways. Uh, Dionysus just comes off as the most irritating, arrogant prick. But I do want to hang out with him and just drink wine all day. Like... Um, you know, he is the god of sex and wine, so why not be a party bro? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I love that Athena is kind of the stern um, kind of counseling guide, the first god to really reach out to you and reach out to Nyx, who is the night mother that that raised you as her mother, essentially, Mm. in the underworld. Um, Nyx is also another fantastic character. And, you know, one thing that's really smart about this that Supergiant do really well is that the theme of this game, which is kind of about like family dynamics, it's about living under the shadow of your father, who is the lord of the underworld. It's trying to escape and and be yourself. Almost every other character in this game is going through their own fractured family relationship or or torn apart kind of connection with someone else. And it really is a game about not just re- trying to repair or move on from your relationship with your father. Um, to also healing everyone else around you inadvertently as well, which is what makes Zagreus such a fascinating protagonist. I mean, he has all of the hallmarks of a generic um, kind of action hero-y video game character. He's kind of smug, you know, he's the the main lead male, but there's kind of a warmth and a kindness to him when he speaks to people that's been put in the dialogue in this game Mm -hmm. that makes him very compelling and very compassionate. When he talks to characters... Um, like Sisyphus, for example, in Tartarus, who's stuck there with the ball, constantly Mm. pushing it up the hill. There is like a warmness and a kindness between those two characters and a real compassion and a time that he wants to spend there listening to them. And you kind of get this feeling that he really cares about everyone around him. He isn't an arrogant prick that's kind of storming his way through. He is to his dad, and he definitely is to Theseus, who is probably the most annoying character in this game, but that dude deserves it. And I don't want to spoil where Theseus shows up, but when you come across that character, you will not like him for a very long time. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a real triumph of a game, both narratively, but also... Um, Mechanically, it feels like all of the ideas that Supergiant have been playing with in all their previous games have finally come and clicked together. Mm. You can feel shades of all their older games in here, but it just feels so refined. And if anything, this is the first time that I feel like 
early access has really kind of made something special here. Like the amount of polish and just thought that has gone into making this game so well balanced and such a joy to play has come out because it's been essentially in a beta process with feedback from fans for over a year or two mm. years now. And interestingly and really was made it worth. was a launch game on the Epic Game Store as well, which had its own controversy when it when it came out. Um, everyone's mm. like, oh, super giant games always used to be able to pick them up in bundles and all over the place. Um, but if you wanted to play their most recent one, you had to go to the Epic Game Store. Um, but obviously enough people did that because it's really shaped the format of what it is. And, you know, it's made its debut on the uh, on the Switch in this 1.0 version. And I can only imagine it's due to appear on some of these other consoles um, imminently as well. Um, one thing I did want to ask about as well is, you know, we, we talk about these games uh, as sort of having a long tail and sort of being able to, to keep playing them and... and um, what what do you think is it for you that has really kept you coming back? Because you are not short on choice. None of us are short on choice in terms of different games to play. Um, but what is it about this game that has really um, kept you going for one more run, one more go, see what you can pick up? There's a few things there. I think I it took me about 25, 30 hours before I got the credits to roll. But then there's really a lot more story that happens after that. And wanting to resolve plot elements, side quests, story connections between characters and see where this thing was going to go is a big element of it. But I think the other element of it is it's just got this kind of one more turn feel about it. The combat is so slick. It's so well done. It's so balanced that I really do just want to keep playing it for the joy of playing it. I still enjoy seeing what combinations I might be able to put together or you know, maybe I might start a run going, you know what, I'm going to pick the fists, but I'm going to try and make them work as much as I can with Poseidon, who's all about knocking people back, and that never works with a close combat weapon. So how am I going to make this work together? And I'll pick, like, Poseidon's special trinket that lets his boons drop so that you can kind of lock him into your round so that you know that his boons will be there, and I'll try to make something happen. And I'm in that point of the game now where I'm having a lot of fun trying to see how far I'll get. I'm using what they call the heat system, um, which is where you can start modding and increasing the difficulty of the ga game for more rewards after you've completed it one time. And so I'm trying to challenge myself to see how far I can kind of get up in the heat level in this game. Um, and, and that's nothing I've ever had before with a roguelike. I usually bounce off either before I finish it once or after a couple of runs because there isn't enough of a story hook for me there or the pure gameplay itself has felt like it's hit a point of frustration where difficulty doesn't feel like it's being rewarded for me. Mm. Whereas in this game, I feel like even in moments that are really frustrating, and I'm going to point out those satyrs with that poison right now as really frustrating. If you've been in that area of this game, you know what I'm talking about. Um, even that doesn't annoy me. Like I'm, I'm just a amazed at how much i just want to keep playing it and i feel like my time is not being wasted and it's being valued in this game in a way that hasn't been done in another game in this genre before i couldn't agree more i think exactly as you said there it is uh you, you feel like if you fail a run you don't feel like i was robbed i said oh i, I misstepped there i made the wrong you know i pressed the wrong button at the wrong time i know what i did wrong um, and it makes you feel like, all right, well, even though that happened, I can still move back. I can get a few extra upgrades. I can pick up the next weapon or I can, uh, you know, upgrade it a bit further, uh, get a few more bits and pieces together and run it at the next time. Even if you die in this game, you will go back to the House of Hades and be able to pet Cerberus. <laughs> Very important. 
Very important. So that is Hades um, by Supergiant Games. Uh, it is out on the Nintendo Switch. You can pick it up on PC and on Mac as well. And I'd imagine it will be appearing on other devices very, very shortly. Do yourself a favour and pick that one up. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. It's the dawning of a new era. The next generation of consoles uh, here. Uh, Adam, there's one big yeah. game that can be played across both, uh, and it's a game that a lot of people have been playing in these very early stages of these new consoles as we are waiting for some of those big high-profile titles to appear. Uh, that game is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, tell me a little bit about what Assassin's Creed Valhalla is. It's it's another Assassin's Creed game, Gianni. Cool. <laughs> Secretly stabbing. Yeah, we've we've had a few of them now. Um, look, before I really dive into this game, I do think I have to quickly address the Ubisoft thing, which is that um, if you've been paying attention to gaming news in the last six to 12 months, there has been a lot of stories around the culture of workplaces and environments. And Ubisoft in particular has been a company that has come under fire by multiple people that have worked there for bad workplace practices, harassment, I believe the creative director of this game was let go after an investigation revealed that they were not a great person and were also kind of conducting um, extramarital affairs with staff members. Um, And so I want that to kind of be mentioned because as excited as I am about this game, I can't stop thinking about that because this is a game at its heart that wants to explore ideas of what makes a noble leader, what makes good leadership, what makes good community all set in the dark ages of England as you're a Viking troop that have kind of moved over from Norway to England to kind of stake your own claim on the land. And yeah, it's hard for me to forget about what happened or is happening in the culture at Ubisoft while I played this game. Um, But that being said, Assassin's Creed um, has been a genre that has gone through reinvention in the last four or five years. I would argue that Syndicate was the last of the old model of Assassin's Creed games. After Assassin's Creed Syndicate came out, I believe in 2015, 2016, Ubisoft said, we're taking a break. We're going to stop doing yearly cycles of this game, Um, which if you haven't played an Assassin's Creed game before, it's a third person action game with lots of stealth mechanics where you play an assassin, you'll do tailing quests, you'll have a big world to explore, etc., etc., Um, Ubisoft put the brakes on it, and I think inspired by games like The Witcher 3, started pulling on a lot of RPG mechanics and storytelling into the world of Assassin's Creed, which gave us Assassin's Creed Origins set in ancient Egypt. Then, a couple years ago, we had Assassin's Creed Odyssey set in ancient Greece, and now Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is set in Dark Ages England. You play Ivor, um, who is a Viking. Uh, You can either be male or female Ivor, or both. Um, and this is not like some cool Ivor is genderqueer kind of like cool kind of vibe. It's literally like you can tell the game um, to kind of flip between male and fev- female Ivor whenever you want. And it'll just kind of randomly change your character's gender when new missions load up and that sort of stuff. So you can go down that route if you want. Um, Assassin's Creed as a game is has a meta story, which is very convoluted set in the present day where people use virtual reality things called an animus to go back in time and relive ancestral memories or the memories of dead people who seem to be connected to a Dan Brown-esque conspiracy theory involving ancient alien artifacts. Um, that being said, you have to you don't have to have any investment in any of that 
to enjoy an Assassin's Creed game and to enjoy this game because that stuff kind of happens so far off in the distance in Valhalla that I feel like I've played 40 minutes of that story, that meta story, that Dan Browning of, of, of Viking world compared to the 35 hours I've spent in the shoes of Ivor so far. Mm. And one I of, guess this, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, well, one of the things that I have heard about this game is that, you know, they have slowly, ever so slowly since the original kind of trilogy ish, I say trilogy, but it's not quite a trilogy. There were more than quadrilogy. Five, yeah. There were more than three games in that particular series. Um, and, uh, you know, they've kind of moved away from that overarching sort of real world sci-fi story and they're sort of oh, taking it's it still there. Yeah. But that, I mean, but it was very, it was more present in, you know, Assassin's Creed one, two and three in brotherhood, uh, in, uh, I think it was legacy as well. Um, you know, as you played sort of Desmond miles and that sort of slowly disappeared as they've kind of, you know, or it's changed forms in a way. Should they just get rid of that sci-fi aspect because a lot of whatever you know this game exists actually you know there's a lot of parallels between the um abstergo and ubisoft uh in that they actually are some of them including like black flag for example you know you are making a game you're a game developer making a game about pirates when that game is assassin's creed black flag so you know is there a way that that sort of past of science fiction Dan Brownishness uh, could be left behind and, and the game could still continue. Would that be a good choice? I'm definitely not the Assassin's Creed franchise purist that wants or needs that stuff in the game. So I am fine playing Viking World. And and that has been a big complaint for a lot of people that have been that have come into this game that are really big fans of the early Assassin's Creeds, which is, you know, there's been a lot of concerns about like, does Ivor feel like an actual assassin or does he feel or she feel like too much of a Viking? Um, is this combat too rough and tumble? Is there any room for stealth? And I think the answer is, um, it's a bit of both. Like, you can definitely play this game like an old Assassin's Creed game. There is what they call social stealth mechanics, where you can put down your hood and blend into crowds and sneak up and take out people and run away from guards, if that's the way you want to play it. Or you can, like, go full-on as a Viking berserker and, like, arm up and get into lots of combat and sprawls. And so I think they've actually done a really... Good job here. This is like the first time that this new model of Assassin's Creed has all really clicked for me. Some of the weird kind of, I guess, um, hiccups that were in Odyssey or in Origins feel more fleshed out here and feel like they work a bit better. The systems and mechanics that they've been playing around with have all kind of coalesced into something that feels a lot more better. But I think what's really working for me about this game is I'm just really invested in this story. Um, Ivor is a really fascinating main character that I feel a lot of compassion and interest in so far as a person. Um, you know, I do have some niggling concerns about a group of people going off to pacify England and that being your goal in the game. Uh, you know, but then there's also this weird feeling I get when I like ride my longboat up to like uh, raid a monastery and burn a church down and everyone's like burn the Christians. And then I flash back to six years of Catholic high school and think to myself, this is very cathartic. So um, <laughs> it, it is a very weird, strange game that just kind of works for me. The action is probably the best that an Assassin's Creed has been in my mind. I feel like this is the best combat system they've ever done in one of these games. It's not as good as the combat in, say, Ghost of Tsushima, which felt really solid, but... I think the open world, the exploration, the quest, um, the narrative, 
the characters, the the town that you inhabit and actually upgrade and build and the stories that come out of that are so much more interesting than anything that happened in Ghost of Tsushima that I'm will- willing to take the kind of not as great combat that Valhalla has in return for what is a much more meaty and fulfilling story experience for me. Like, I care about these characters. I'm actually caring about Assassin's Creed characters, which is not a thing I thought it would ever happen to me. Um, but here I am, really invested in the baker in my village, and I want to find out what happens to their story next, and I can't wait for the next story beat there. So something's gone right here. It's hard to explain. Well, I, I think, um, you know, they've often talked about these huge franchise games, uh, and I think the Call of Duty games are a similar way to this, that often people will say, you know, they have a, a tick and a tock where they have multiple teams working on the same franchise. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it takes, you know, about two games for some of the lessons from others to sort of filter into the main series, right? So, you know, our Origins was probably not exactly made by the same people as uh, Odyssey was, uh, and maybe this game wasn't as well. Like, I know that there's a, a you know, a Singaporean Ubisoft studio uh, that worked a lot on this particular game, um, and, you know, maybe it's that, that factor that it took a little bit of time for these this series to kind of really reinvent itself in a way that, yeah, as you said, has like, what, 17 main titles in, in the series? Like, this is a, a really long running. It's probably not 17, but it's up there. <laughs> yeah. <it's something. laughs> well, I'm, you know, when you said 17, I didn't disbelieve you. You know, there are a I lot know. of different uh, games in this series, a lot of spin-offs as well. Just um, covering my myself for the Assassin's Creed stands out there who I, I know will know the actual answer for me. So, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things I think that's really interesting is it sort of slow moved towards an RPG game um, that it wasn't really... Like, there was some elements of this um, when I think back to playing the original Assassin's Creed on the Xbox 360. Um, you know, you would pick up better upgrades. You would get, you know, more arrows and, and more um, throwing knives and a bunch of that sort of stuff. But now there is really more stat-based, you know, like... You have a, a, a sort of a severe grid in talking in the Final Fantasy X parlance, but, um, you know, where you are getting 5.2 uh, extra health, uh, you know, and like in you're getting, as soon as you've got, you know, decimal numbers in there, you know that this is a real stats-based game and there's sort of a, you know, min-maxing element to it. Um, one of the things I, I sort of am curious is if you've played sort of 30 hours of it, there's probably lots more in it to, for you to sort of explore um, and even mm. ways for you to play that. One of the things that I found really fun um, from a previous entry of this um, series is the Assassin's Creed um, Black Flag, um, where you would be able to go and just sail the high seas and just shoot pirate ships and take out things. Is there enough of that in this game for you just to go and randomly run around or, or sail a ship or, or do whatever uh, off the beaten track and, and, and sort of keep that sort of fun, repeatable loop? There is. And so things have changed slightly from the previous Assassin's Creed or even uh, Watch Dogs Legion, which came out two weeks ago. And it's so weird to me to think about Ubisoft putting out their two big open world franchises next to each other. But I guess in in Valhalla, when you climb the ever-present like uh, tower slash synchronization points that are in all these open world games, it does a little bit of a Breath of the Wild on you. This time, your map will not fill up with a million icons. Instead, what will happen is... You'll see points of interest on the horizon, particularly when you use the eyes of your pet bird to kind of scout for you. You have a raven. Um, and and those are kind of colored-coded symbols, but you don't really know what you're getting into. You might see like some, some gold um, kind of dots in the horizon that are marked on your map now that you can kind of have your bird put a marker for, or you might see some blue ones or some white ones. And all you know is that gold means wealth of some sort. So that could be like some... 
uh, special gold bars that you can use to reinforce armor. It might be a new armor piece or a new weapon. And because there's very limited armor and weapons in this game and they all have unique properties, finding them is really impactful. Or it might be skill books. Instead of having just skills that you dump points into uh, in this in this version of Assassin's Creed, you have to find the skills in the world. Um, these are the active skills that you equip and use in combat. So finding them through exploration is very important. And then, you know, you they might be side quests as well, which isn't so you don't really know what you're getting into until you get close to something and really explore it and find it. And there is a little bit of that kind of Breath of the Wild kind of I've looked over there and seen a cool hill and I can see some ravens circling a ruin and I bet that there's some cool stuff going on there. And if you go and explore there, not everything shows up with your raven or on the map either. So there is an incentive to explore things and find hidden things that you wouldn't otherwise find. And that, to me, has made the exploration of this open world a lot more tantalizing and interesting than previous Assassin's Creed games. It's really brought it back to that feeling that The Witcher 3 had as well, except that you don't have a million question marks popping up on your map. Um, it's It's just kind of found the way that it should work and that what wasn't quite working for Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Origins is now working really well here. And yeah, I, I, I do think that that's given me a lot of stuff to do outside the main quest. But at the same time, the main quest is actually really enjoyable in the way that it's told through chapters. You might spend, say, four or five hours in a chapter, and then that sort of narrative thread is kind of done. It actually reminds me a little bit of um, Dragon's Age Inquisition, where you would pick a mission table mission, and you would go on like a five-hour quest, and then you'd go back to your main base and then stake out the next thing that you would do. Valhalla has that kind of approach as well. It feels like you're playing really good short stories in an overall television series if you wanted to use that sort of approach. And I like that sort of episodic storytelling structure. It works really well for exploring different districts of a big open world. And then, yeah, the open world exploration itself feels really impactful and rewarding. Things that you find feel good. Um, puzzles that you find are kind of fun and interesting. Side quests are really small little bite-sized things that don't show up on your map and don't go into your quest log most of the time. So they're kind of like little five-minute adventures that you'll stumble into and can solve within the immediate location that you found them in. And that is kind of a really fun way to approach side quests in a game. It's mm. very different from what they've done in the past with this series. And I think they've really hit the nail on the head with a, with a few different tweaks and changes that they've made here that have, has made this a really fun open world game for me. And now this game is available on the previous generation, but it is one of the games that is available also on the next generation on the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 as well. Uh, Adam, how are them graphics? They're good. Um, they're fine. Um, so I'm playing it on PlayStation 5. Um, I have a 4K TV, which is okay. Um, and look, it, it kind of runs in uh, kind of like a, a downscale. Well, it's a it's like a one of those resolutions that kind of jumps between like 2K and 4K and it kind of modulates itself. I've forgotten the exact term, not digital foundry. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but there are definite moments where I can see like that crispness disappear a little bit when like seven people suddenly appear. But this game is running really well on the PlayStation 5. It's running at a locked 60 FPS for the most part. There's barely any frame rate dips. There's a couple of weird bugs, but it is a big open world game. So 
Skyrim style, my horses levitating up in the air style bugs are what I expect from this genre of game. And I've had a lot of goofy moments so far where like I've dodged an enemy attack and slid halfway across a zone and appeared two kilometers away. And that sort of stuff is actually really entertaining to me. I yeah, think. Yeah, well, um, this is the thing is that like I remember even on the Xbox 360 on the first Assassin's Creed, there were lots of bugs in the game, but you kind of headcanoned them away saying, well, this is actually just a simulation. Uh, it's inside a computer yeah, program, so like, therefore there must be bugs in this thing because all the computer programs have got that. So you're just like, all right, that makes sense. Um, the only one for me I found was like, yes, the game looks beautiful. Um, you know, it, it's running really smoothly. I haven't noticed any massive drop-offs in terms of the frame rate of it as well. As you said, it, you, you sort of see that sort of slight decrease in quality, but not massively. Um, uh, but the thing that I had for me was kind of a weird bug where the very first room that you enter in the game... Um, you know, you, you come across an NPC who's in the world and, and they go to you, oh, Ivor, uh, I will play you some music for this fun festival that we're at or something to that effect. Um, good, and then, good Viking voice. Yeah, and I then didn't, like did not play the music. Like the music didn't play. And a lot of the environmental sound effects weren't there either. And uh, I went back into the main room and there's like a sort of a smoking candle where this sort of smoke is sort of billowing and twisting away. Um, and that really looked... Uh, really buggy. They kind of look like I just saw shapes of smoke lift into the sky and then disappear, like just bop, pop out of distance. And it wasn't until I closed uh, the the game entirely and reopened it and then it properly reloaded in that I kind of got to experience it. But I, I reloaded my save file a few times before I closed the game and going, hang on, what's going on here? Did something just glitch? Um, and that was an interesting experience. My very The very first uh, next generation game to have that sort of come onto, um, but since then it's been sort of very minor stuff that you can kind of uh, you know walk around. So yeah, I've had some wild bugs. I've had a boat that I was on with an NPC explode in the water and then fling that character who I was escorting for a quest like half a mile away from me. It was actually amazing. They just catapulted <laughs> away. I hope you saw those moments where that. you immediately. Oh, yeah, you immediately reach to hit the clip button, basically, yeah. when those moments happen. Uh, yeah, I've had moments where I've uh, clipped through walls. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm still having fun, jankiness aside. there's it, It's still a very well-done game. I'm amazed at the amount of polish and detail that's gone into this, what I assume will be a terrifying 200 hours of, of things to do in this game, which is just staggering to think about and just... Honestly, I'm 40 hours in and I feel like I've barely scratched the surface of what this game's story could be. Um, so that, to me, is scary enough. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm having a really good time with it. I think in terms of next generation feels, I appreciate the PlayStation 5's very fast load times. That's really satisfying and fun to play. And playing long lock 60 FPS on a console is actually really great. Mm. Like, I'm used to that from a lot of PC gaming, and it's nice to have that in a console format. Um, but this game isn't really doing that much with, uh, I guess, some of the unique PlayStation 5 capabilities of the DualSense controller. So if you've just come from Demon's Souls or you've played the Astrobot game that comes with the PS5 and you're really excited about how Valhalla is going to use the triggers and use all the haptic feedback, I have not noticed it used once maybe the triggers have been used for like one ambient puzzle out in the world at one point but it's a little bit disappointing that some of those really unique interesting playstation features aren't really being picked up by this game and maybe mm. that's part of the cross-generational nature of Valhalla more than it is um the fact that it's a cross console game as well yeah and a third party game i i can actually kind of see ubisoft leaning into the dual sense controller um for future games i hope they do because it's 
it really is a really exciting thing that the PlayStation 5 offers. And I actually feel a bit spoiled by games like Demon's Souls and really want other games to kind of give me that tactile feeling when I'm playing it. Mm. It really is a bit of a game changer. And I'm hoping to see more and more games on the PlayStation actually, yeah, lean into that and use it. Well, we are, you know, just in the very first weeks of this uh, new generation. I imagine as we go through the next couple of years, uh, we'll start to see more and more of those strengths uh, be really lent into. Uh, and the games we're playing right now will look nothing like the games we play at the end uh, just before the PlayStation 6 or the Xbox. Who knows whatever it will be called <laughs> will be coming out. The Xbox Series Generational Cube. Xbox X. Uh, the no it's the Xbox 4. Uh, friends, that's what it's called. Uh, so that is Assassin's Creed uh, Valhalla uh, out now on PlayStation 4, on uh, Xbox One, on PlayStation 5, and Xbox Series X as well as Series S. So it's a mouthful. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. And that's pretty much all the time we have for Mainstream. This is episode 18. It's what video games the Pixel Swift team have been playing and what we have been checking out. Uh, my name is Gianni. Thanks for being part of episode 18, Adam. Yeah, my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the Mainstream theme music. Now, Adam, if people want to find you online, where can you be found? You can find me in the Pixel Sift Discord because I am off all social media. I quit all that stuff. So, That's a good idea. Yeah. The Discord digital detox. The Pixel Sift Discord is a good place to go uh, and hang out. You can find me there as well as the rest of the Pixel Sift crew and a number of the developers that we have spoken to on our other podcast, one that's just called Pixel Sift. Um, uh, you can find it there. So the way to get into that Discord is www.pixelsift.com.au forward slash discord and you'll be able to join in and join the fun and while you're online uh maybe give us a follow on twitter on facebook and on instagram as well we're all on there uh and uh yeah check out our other podcast pixel sift which we just recorded episode 159 uh the other day with developers uh, from all around the world if 159 episodes of Pixel Sift isn't enough for you, we've also got a website, so you can head over to pixelsift.com.au for videos, articles, and a whole bunch more from the Pixel Sift team. That's pixelsift.com.au. And if you like what you've heard, why not tell a mate and see if they're into it? Get them to listen to the podcast, listen to Mainstream or Pixel Sift. Check out our website as well. They can even review it. They can find us on any podcast platform or player of their choice. That's it for Mainstream. Until next time, have fun. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.